Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks making the That's That's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. White Sox fans, welcome in to Socks on Tap, a special holiday Christmas edition special. It's St. Rick Giannani here alongside Tony Marchese, NWI Steve. How we doing, gentlemen? Cheers. Happy holidays. Not a nice little crack in there. Johnny, happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to Steve, who's obviously getting cold this year. We'll talk more about why later that Steve's getting cold. Even though you're getting cold, Steve, it's it's great to be back on the microphone with you, and it's 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 a pleasure to see St. Rick at Nani Johnny down there, Mike Clevenger in a Santa hat, if you will. Uh, cheers, boys. Hey, oh boys, listen, I'm gonna air some grievances later because this is some bullshit. What did I do to get any coal? The fuck is that all about? Oh, we'll find out. We'll find out later. I'm excited. I'm excited to get to that. Yeah, uh, a special holiday edition though. Socks on tap, guys. I'm excited to get into some of these topics that we have. Obviously, a couple signings here uh, to ponder over. A few rumors, rumblings uh, on that front as well. Um, also, a little bit of uh, kind of speculation in terms of uh, what could be in on the trade market. Who knows exactly what's going to happen there? Nothing solidified, but uh, we'll mull over all of that uh, as we sip on some holiday beverages here. But um, before we do any of that, make sure you subscribe on Tap Sports that on youtube where you can go and watch and comment on all of these live shows also go and find us on tapsportsnet.com and on social media at socks on tap and at on tap sportsnet tony you got the docket tonight lead us off yeah first things first johnny uh we've got a signing to talk about and that's andrew benintendi he's here on a, a very lengthy deal a franchise record deal if you will you get five years was that 75 million dollars that comes in just slightly above uh, Yasmani Grandal, who is uh, definitely uh, one of your, uh, both of your guys' favorite players. Um, so he takes the record, and there's a lot of mixed mixed feelings about this. I think we should go round table, and uh, I'll get your guys' reactions first to this. I, I already know what Steve's is going to be, so I'm going to start with Johnny. Well, let's, I mean, look at it for what it is uh, on paper. Uh, this is also the big thing. I'm always going to disclaim that on paper feels a need, right? We've been talking about a left-handed bat. We've been talking about an outfielder. That's actually an outfielder. And it's been, you know, kind of throw shit at the wall. See what sticks uh, when you're talking about the Nomar Mazzara experiment, the trade for AJ Pollock, obviously, I think that could have turned out better than it did. But either way, neither of those worked out and end up just being one year projects here. Well, guess what? When you sign Andrew Benintendi, you know, he's going to be here for five years because that's what the deal is for. So uh, he's going to be out there. Uh, presumably Manning left field for the foreseeable future for your White Sox. So, um, on paper, fits a need, Tony. I put out a tweet shortly after the signing, though, and I, I just can't. I got to live by my motto: don't get up for the letdown. Because I liked, you know, I liked the Benintendi signing. I also liked the AJ Pollock trade. I liked the Craig Kimbrell trade at the time. I liked trading for Cesar Hernandez 
at the time. Obviously, you go and make arguments where those guys fits, where they just bust, regardless, just waiting to fall off a cliff. Obviously, they did, both Kimbrell and Hernandez in, in that regard. But um, I, I'm just going to see how it plays out because there's not much else I can do except sit back and hope this on paper fill a need actually fills the need in reality. So that's just so, my so you've got some you've got some recency bias. And Johnny, I, right. I will say I, I I understand exactly where you're at with that. I think that uh we've we've been let down enough that people should probably heed your advice on this one and not get up for the letdown. I mean that's that's right. what you've been preaching for years. Steve, what do you what do you got on this Andrew Benintendi franchise record deal? My initial reaction is Paul Giff Um, there's pluses and minuses to this look does he fill a need in terms of providing left-handed balance in the lineup yes is he a guy that has had a walk rate around 10 percent for a good majority of his career which this team needs yes power numbers are declining precipitously over the last couple of years if you go back 2018, 2019, this was a 40 double guy that was, you know, 55 extra base hits a year. He has not been that guy for several years now. If he can turn back into that guy, um, that would be very valuable for this team. Um, there's been a couple of articles. There was one on fan graphs and one through the athletic here earlier today, kind of talking about some potential swing changes and how, the ballpark at 35th and Shields might be beneficial to his swing from maybe unlocking some of his power potential. I think that's basically what the team <clears throat> has to be banking on at this point here because, you know, five years for a guy that is not going to provide you with a tremendous amount of power um, with varying defensive efficiency, depending on which metric you really look at, that's pretty steep you know, if, if we're being honest. So there's there's good and bad to come with this contract. I think at the end of the day, Andrew Benintendi is a guy that should be more of a complimentary player to a team that portends to have championship aspirations, not a main character on the team. So we'll ultimately see kind of what happens here. Um but at the end of the day, it's not something that, for me, moves the needle a tremendous amount. But you're right in the sense that it does fill a need and provides at least a level of competency that we haven't had previously. Yeah, I mean, actually, Steve, I, I think that was a very fair assessment that you gave there. I was expecting uh, a little bit more negativity coming from you on the signing here, but I whoa, think that whoa, this, whoa. I think that this he's trying to avoid his cold treatment whoa, later. Whoa, yeah. He's trying, he's, he's really trying to get ahead of things later on in the show, Johnny. I don't know what's going on here, but I think that if you, if you guys look on Twitter over the past couple of days, specifically around this signing, I think it's really been sort of a polarizing move by the white Sox because I've seen a lot of hate towards Andrew Benintendi, and I want to go back and, and just rewind a little bit here. This was a name that was uh, included in some of the Chris Sale deals. This was a guy that the White Sox have been linked to for a long time. It feels very textbook, almost Kenny always gets his guy in the end type of thing. 
Um, and, and you can play to those narratives or, or you can sit here and say that the White Sox made this signing and it was bad or good. There's, there's a lot at play. Um, but what I don't want to go into the season with is some sort of false narrative that Andrew Benintendi was a bad signing. There's a lot of layers, as I said, and one of them is the contract that he has and the length in, in, in that contract that he got five years. That's a long time. Um, granted, what is he? 28, 29, uh, right now going into yeah, 29 year season, Johnny, I think it is. Um, so it, it's not as long as what you're seeing a lot of these other stars go get. Um, obviously it's another contract that the White Sox have signed that is under a hundred million dollars. And I feel like that's sort of that sticking point that we have as White Sox fans, where we want to see them cross that threshold. I think Steve, you kind of actually nailed it when you said he's a fine signing, but he doesn't really move the needle. Um, but I will say to me, it moves the needle in the aspect of he's an improvement over what we've seen in the outfield. And I feel like we as White Sox fans, it's sad that we're here, but we as White Sox fans can't appreciate this signing for what it is because of the situation that surrounds itself with the rest of the roster, right? There's, It's easy to go look and say, you passed on Jose Abreu, who was your franchise captain, and, and throw a tweet out there and say, why did you go spend all this money on Andrew Benintendi? Because, you know, Jose Abreu is going to hit X more home runs. He's been part of this team he's been part of this culture i don't think this is a bad signing by any means i think the dollar amount is is pretty right on for what you're what you're getting over that term but i also think that we live in such a skewed world that it doesn't make sense to us what we just did here because this is a depth piece for the New York Yankees to go out and acquire and bring on to a potential championship contender. And then he's your premier player of a franchise in terms of a contract. It puts you in a really weird it, position the, to try and actually think about what that means. And people are confused with it. Have you guys seen sort of the, the, the polarity with this? The framing of the contract, Tony, is exactly what you're getting at there. And it, it was, you know, like Bob Nightingale, the national reporters go out and tweet. It's the it's historic because it's the biggest free agent contract handed out in White Sox history. Right. And it's the same trap we fell into, Johnny, when people started yeah. calling you on Mancata Phenom. Right. Yeah. But it's the perception. It's funny because then you get like some backlash from the, the like kind of national crowd. Right. In that, oh, well, the White Sox, this is embarrassing if this is your like biggest thing. And don't get me wrong. It is. Because it, it is. is. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Don't get me wrong. However, when you go and look at the situation, the surrounding, like Tony had said, what all these other big name free agents are getting here. Um, and obviously, Ben Antony is not in that same tier as those top guys that are getting, you know, insane dollar amounts this offseason. Um, when you go and look at just the scale of the contracts, then he was going to get somewhere in that range. So, fuck. That's on the White Sox in the past for not signing someone to a bigger long-term deal, not landing Manny Machado, i.e. Um, but see, this like is, that. Johnny, this is where I go back to if they the were signing that, right, premier that's players. Frame, that's the frame that we're stuck in. So I, I honestly, I can, I can sit here and still appreciate it for what it is. At the same time, yes, it is still embarrassing and sad that that is our biggest 
contract in free agent history. I, I'm not denying that by any means. However, on paper, fills need. And also, I was a little bit surprised. I don't know about you guys when it happened because I thought we were going to really go more down the trade route. And I know that's kind of been pretty dead as sorts, but I thought that would have been exercised first and then possibly bringing someone on would have been a more secondary option, but obviously the market dictates it and this is where it ended up. So that's where we are right now. It's kind of a framing uh, thing there, Tony, uh, just addressing all the issues that you had previously brought up. I think the thing that is a little bit surprising in a number of aspects is the length of the deal, the five years. Um, I'm not sure anybody at the start of the offseason would have pegged Andrew Benatendi as getting five years on a deal, given the inconsistency in his performance, I think especially from a power output standpoint. And I've kind of joked about this for several years now. Perhaps that is the White Sox suck tax, having to add on that additional year or two to a free agent deal for a player that probably doesn't get that from a more serious franchise. You know, so that's one of the things that really kind of concerns me is that there's just not that long track record of success for Andrew Benatendi. And then to make that commitment for five years to a guy in his late twenties, going into his thirties, there is a lot of cause for concern with that. So I think that could be part of the consternation within the fan base about this deal. I mean, Steve, to an extent, I also sort of had this conversation with our guy Buzz earlier today about the the White Sox suck tax that you just brought up. Um, and to me, it's it's kind of it's kind of like the, you know the 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 gift that Johnny sends out all the time. Time is a flat circle, you know. I, I love this. The White Sox suck tax is is sort of a flat circle here. You go out and you sign a player for you know, a couple extra years or you attack on a couple extra million to a deal. You know, he, he brought up Mike Clevenger. I wish we got him for a couple, you know, less million dollars here. And I said, well, you know, maybe that's the White Sox suck tax right there. But when you go out and you look at Noah Syndergaard going and getting, you know, just a million over him and you compare sort of the profiles, eh, it seems kind of fair. And you got people in the media saying, oh, this seems, you know, like a steal for the White Sox or however they want to frame it. But it, it's kind of funny to me when when people say like, oh, like the socks are cheap and, and they don't want to do this. And then you see them go out and they add on that white socks suck tax that you want to say like they they outplayed the Astros here. They outplayed the Yankees here. Both of those clubs were linked to Andrew Benintendi. I would say that we sit on this show a lot and talk about how we want to go beat them. And here, here's a here's a signing that the White Sox make. And you've got members of the Houston media and the New York media saying the Sox just stole Andrew Benintendi out from underneath everybody. And I would think that, you know, as a fan base, we would be enthralled by that. Should be, right? Should be enthralled <laughs> yeah. by that. But, and, yet, but, and yet we're sitting here trying to, like, play, like, one clip of Andrew Benintendi making a bad throw home on Josh Harrison and running a whole show based on how he's got a noodle arm. When every fucking statistic that's out there shows you that this guy's an average defender that's better than what you were going to run out there in left field that you thought you were going to have three fucking weeks ago. It's just it's it's insane to me where we're at right now. And it it, it boggles my mind that we, we have to do these mental gymnastics and wrap our minds in a pretzel to even figure out 
where we're at because I don't know what's up from down at this point. Here's what I think part of the other issue is, and this is just going to relate to the cloud that surrounds this franchise as a whole. We talked about the deal being the largest in franchise history. That has been met collectively by the fan base with either one of two reactions, either meh or wow, that's fucking embarrassing. You contrast that with the reaction when the Phillies signed Bryce Harper a couple of years ago, how many extra hundreds of thousands of tickets they sold. You compare that with the reaction to them signing Trey Turner just a couple of weeks ago and the excitement surrounding that fan base. You look at San Diego, the reaction surrounding the acquisition of Manny Machado in free agency or when they acquired Juan Soto. You could go on Twitter.com and you just see the lines of people standing outside waiting to get into the ballpark. Andrew Benintendi is not going to elicit that type of reaction because he's just not that type of player. And I think, unfortunately, that reaction and, and that kind of public stigma uh, that surrounds both the organization and the player kind of factors into this and some of the perception around this deal. Would you have that problem if Luis Robert was healthy for 150 games and, you know, hit 29 home runs and stole 45 bases? I don't think you would. Would you have that issue if Eloy Jimenez was hitting 40 plus bombs for you in the same season? I don't think you would. This would be a great signing for this team. It would be okay. They're out there. See, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's true because I think if those things were still happening, I think the reaction would still be you still should be shooting at the top of the market. Well, I mean, everybody's going to always want, you know, top tier stuff. But I, I mean, think this until, is a luxury. But I think until that telling us we though. couldn't go to the Dior store? No, we couldn't go to the Dior <laughs> store. Sox fans are and like Sometimes that. you have to make a return to the Dior store. It just feels like we're the kids in high school and everybody else's parents bought them a BMW for their 16th birthday. I know what it's like there. to be that kid. Yeah, everybody else's parents bought them a BMW for their 16th birthday and we're sitting here driving dad's car on the weekends because the family only has two cars. That's what it feels like. It's it's that perpetual feeling of, I want the coolest thing that I can get my hands on. And yet, I mean, to an extent, that that does get you far in, in baseball by going out and spending that type of money. But it doesn't guarantee you a World Series. I'm not trying to defend this by any means. I would love to sit there and show off the shiny new product every single time, you know, like that sells jerseys. It's, it, it builds excitement. It does all those things that we've wanted. I mean, this team really hasn't had that guy since Paul Canerco, Frank Thomas, you know, like those, those names that were out there. Um, And and arguably you had it with Jose Abreu, you had it with Chris Sale and you weren't able to build around it. And, and here we are trying to figure out what it is. The, the other thing that I want to get to real quick to just wrap up the Ben and stuff and this is kind of a segue into the next point. People got really excited about this Billy Hamilton signing for a couple of different reasons. And one of them is the new pickoff rule, the, 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 the importance of speed and the importance of getting on base here. It'll be interesting to me to see if this move actually is sort of ahead of its time. And and maybe the next change in baseball over the next couple of years with these, with these rule changes, You've got a guy that can get on base. He's got a little bit of speed. He's not a, a base path clogger. 
Um, so I, I don't know who knows if it starts to turn in, in a different direction. If Andrew right. Benintendi's Ma- game leans towards something that is more productive than what people Ma- value in the, like the immediate near future. Maybe so, the value comes, the added value comes in the things that you weren't able to project because those rules weren't in place in correct. previous years. Right. Yeah. That's I'm, my, that's I'm, my I'm last thought. Yeah. Possibility. Here's my last thought on it, and this is going to spark some fire. Andrew Penintendi should hit second. I agree with you. I, I've on it, Steve. You said spark a fire. I've I just talking about it with a few of yous and a couple other White Sox fan friends um, outside the kind of Twitter sphere circle. I've all kind of come to. That. They've also kind of come to that um, conclusion too, and they're the ones that have told me that. So, I think that you're onto something there there i mean but you know there's obviously there still are yohan mankata truthers out there that will hear that statement and will get upset about it they'll get dare i even say hashtag mad online about it um but the fact of the matter is the inconsistency with what we have seen from mankata from a year-to-year basis um, to me, that doesn't warrant him automatically being penciled into that number two spot. Andrew Benintendi has like a 350 career on base. That's so that in is spite, in spite of the issues that he has had from a power production standpoint, the plate discipline is not something that has waned in his game. Right. On base has been a strength, as you mentioned there, Steve. And I was like looking at it and how the hell is he an all-star? Sure, part of it was that the Royals sucked and they needed to have at least one representative from every team, right, uh, from last year. But how is he an all-star? Well, guess what? The average is good. On uh, base is good. So th- that is something that has been consistent in his game. So um, I like that you bring that up as well. I, I just want to add to this, Steve. I, I, I love the fact that you brought this up. Um, I feel like the Sox have had a two-hitter problem for a long time, like a really long time. And – you know, if the game does change to a little bit more speed, a little bit more get them on, get them over, the, the home run is still going to be the, the king of baseball. It has been for such a long time. But if the Sox are going to produce a lot of offense and, and score runs, I, I think that Andrew Benintendi really solves the the two-hitter problem. And I, I didn't expect the conversation to go this way until you brought it up, Steve. But I, I think he kind of solves that problem for them they've tried so many guys there over the past couple of years uh yohan mancata is one of them i don't think luis robert is your number two hitter andrew vaughn is not your number two hitter you need somebody who's able to get on base and and move tim anderson over if he's you know hit gonna hit singles um next season and if benintendi's in that spot you've got a guy that's gonna make a lot more contact i feel like than anybody else you know, that's got a bat in this lineup as long as Lurie Garcia still gets a couple reps in the two hole every now and then for my guy, Johnny Nani down here, I'm fine with this, but just fucking put in Sharpie, Andrew Benintendi in the two hole. Do we still have Jerry Naren? Is he going to, you know, calligraphy out the Benintendi right there? Just get a permanent stamp and stamp it in the two (laughs) spot. I love, I love that. And I love that for this White Sox team. I still want to see more home runs. I still want to see fireworks, but I think that it's important. You got to have guys on base when you hit those home runs. And right. I think Ben Intendi 
will provide that for the White Sox yep. in and of anything else. Hopefully the power numbers and the in the the adjustments that he's made that we saw today also pan out. But that's yeah, I'm I'm all in for Benintendi in the two spot. Yep. I think that's good role for him. So, all right, let's move on. Another speed guy. We had just uh, kind of segued with that there. Uh, Billy Hamilton, when you brought up reportedly signed a minor league deal, invited spring training uh, over the weekend that was reported. So um, obviously a lot of excitement because people like Billy Hamilton, people like his personality. People like the spark that he brought, the leadership that he brought during the 2021 season guys. Um, I think, Everyone, it's it's understandable. You can go and look at the numbers, and obviously, you know, he's not going to offer you much at the plate, even though he did have a random, like, spurt where he hit a few home runs for us back during that 2020. I was season. there for both of those games. There, there, was, there was a little bit of magic there that happened there, but that was, Tony, Tony, that goes back to what you were talking about with us having it. I feel like Billy Hamilton helped bring it back there um, a little bit. Uh, obviously, it depends on if he makes the team. Is he going to be up? Is he going to be uh, willing to be at? charlotte and then being waiting in the wings if there's an injury or something like that who knows exactly how that's all going to play out regardless the personality of billy hamilton being back in the white Sox organization is exciting and i think that's a pretty objective statement hey i i was a big billy hamilton guy when he was here i talked about this a couple of times throughout the year that they were missing some sort of clubhouse guy that uh you know, you can't see on paper. And I think Billy Hamilton brought a lot of that to the dugout uh, for the Chicago White Sox in 2021. I mean, this is a guy that us three sat here and talked about how the White Sox were doing roster gymnastics to keep him on that roster to get him uh, to the playoffs with the, with the Chicago White Sox without having to release him um, just a couple of years ago. So I, I love that they brought him back. I thought that, uh, you know, they, they missed some sort of spark, some sort of energy. He was a guy that the cameras panned to uh, consistently in the dugout, on the field, um, just class act. And I think he interacted with the fans well, fitting well here. Um, he, minor league deal. I think he starts the year in Charlotte um, just because it's a minor league deal. I think he's sort of depth, but he's a guy that I think the White Sox uh, want to have down the stretch inevitably you're going to see some injuries within this outfield core. I, I, I truly believe that that's just something that always happens, but uh, like I Luis Robert playing in the WBC. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of stuff there that, I mean, it could be an insurance policy for that to even start the year. Uh, I think that he's going to provide a little bit of energy. He obviously is familiar with the organization. I think it was a great under the radar move. Um, and then, you know, what can't be understated enough is, I really think speed is going to play a large factor, especially um, early to mid season with these new pickoff rules. You get a guy on base late innings, you need a run. Um, you know, he's, he's your pinch runner. He's, he's not going to be, you know, seeing over a hundred at bats unless we've got major catastrophic injury issues, not out of the question, but you know, you saw the way that the twins employed him last season. Um, I can see the White Sox doing that in similar fashion um, with Billy Hamilton here. It's just going to depend on how healthy this core can, can stay uh, throughout the year and employ him at the right time and give you a, a competitive advantage potentially um, in certain aspects of the game. And as well as a guy that seems to be very well liked by fans and, uh, you know, guys within the clubhouse alike. So I, I'm a big fan of this move. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. It's a minor league deal. There's no real downside risk associated with this. And he provides you a level of protection in the event if Eloy or Luis Robert or any of the other outfielders that you are penciling in to see more regular action happen to get hurt. Um, he's a guy that obviously still provides a high level of defensive value, so that's very important. And then it obviously can't be understated enough the importance of what he can do on the base paths. I think especially given the rule changes, Johnny, as you alluded to earlier there, um, a guy like Billy Hamilton can easily go and turn an infield single into a triple very easy, very quickly. So that is going to be something important to have. It'll be curious to see if there is an opt-out trigger um, in the contract offer that was made to him, if he's not up by, you know, I don't know, like May 15th or, or whatever, because a lot of times those get built into those types of deals with veteran guys. So it'll be fascinating to see kind of what happens with that. But, you know, it's it's fine. And like you guys said, he does provide a high level of energy, and this is a guy that looks like he does appreciate being in the major leagues every day. And, and that's something that is shown outwardly. And, you know, that energy can be infectious to a team. And we saw that during the 2021 season. I talked about this a lot last year. There was just a different vibe around this team in the dugout. They didn't look the same. Can that all be attributed to Billy Hamilton? Probably not. But I think guys like that are needed with a baseball team over the course of 162 game season. You brought up vibe there, Steve, a different vibe, right? And Tony, that's something that you had talked about back in 2021 when we were rolling. You were talking about this team having it. There was a level of fun. There was a level of excitement, right? Both in the dugout, in the stands, wherever. Um, when you're talking about White Sox baseball, there was some excitement there. Obviously, um, felt that last year. Everyone felt kind of, you know, uh, just spinning our wheels. That, that's really how it felt both on the field. Players, uh, fans, it was like felt you know, like a chore at times, right? Um, Billy Hamilton, why did people get so excited about this? I think about that. And that was the vibe. Sure, there was personal fan interactions. People had some great relationship with him. He's a good um, outwardly spoken type of guy. He interacted with fans at games, signed autographs, interacted on social media and various aspects, all that stuff there too. But you guys covered all of the intangibles. You're talking about defense, speed, um, especially the importance of that with the new rule. So I don't need to go and rehash that. But it's the vibes. And I legitimately believe that, you know, the White Sox couldn't dig themselves out of it last year, no matter what level of talent they had, because the vibes were just absolutely low. They were diminished. They were toast. So having that guy there, um, one thing that I don't think is brought up in our guy, uh, uh, Sox and Saints going to touch on it a little bit in a post at ONTAP Sportsnet in, in the very near future here. But you got a first year manager, you got a rookie manager, Pedro Griefel, there, and you're going to need some veteran presence, right? Uh, in, in that dugout, you're going to need a good support staff in terms of uh, assistant coaches, um, position coaches, bench coaches, whatever. Um, but you're going to also need leadership on the team. And you lost a big leader, big veteran leader in Jose Abreu. Well, guess what? If the 2021 season was any indication and how Billy Hamilton was able to supplement that, I feel like he should be able to slide back into that role um, with a fairly similar group of core players um, surrounding him in 2023. So you, you don't have Adam Engel anymore clogging up that roster spot of guy who's supposed to come off the bench and be a defensive replacement and steal you a base in late inning situations. I could potentially see him fitting into that role 
Um, and Johnny, with those intangibles that you said, I think he provides a different value there. That's what I wanted to hammer home most since you guys talked about all of the good stuff on defense and the base path. So, all right, let's move it along, guys. I'm talking about trade rumors. Uh, Liam Hendricks shows up again today. I know it might be dampened a little bit now that the Mets did bring back Adam Adovino. Um, however, Liam Hendricks has been linked to the Mets uh, among a number of other teams. I know his name was brought up at winter meetings as well, though. But um, thoughts on Liam Hendricks trade talks, um, potentially chipping him off to fill needs elsewhere on the roster. Okay, so here's kind of where I'm at with all of this. And I talked about this point very early on in the offseason in that one of the easiest ways that this team could go about addressing needs that they have on the roster was with Liam Hendricks and the perspective that I've never been a big proponent in paying for saves. I, I hate going into the free agent market and spending a lot of money on the bullpen. I've been a firm believer for a long time in the Tampa Bay Rays model of you grow your own relievers. So to take someone like Liam Hendricks with his contract that now looks relatively affordable when you look at some of the other contracts that are that have been issued to free agent relievers in the market. Market here. shift. Yeah, significant market shift this year. So that gives him considerable value. Um, with that being said, the idea of trading Liam Hendricks and some of these rumors that were going around for Eduardo Escobar and James McCann, get the fuck out of here. Anybody that wants to talk shit about Yasmani Grandal's 2022 season, look at James McCann's fucking numbers since he left the White Sox, since he left the city of Chicago. And please tell me on what planet that has been worthwhile. And this is a guy we want to trade for a guy for $10 million a year that had a 59 weighted runs created plus last year while healthy. He didn't have the injury. He didn't have a completely bulged disc the way Yasmani Grandal did and went out there and fucking tried to play through it. What are you Yasmani Grandal's agent right now? No, I'm not. I'm not Yasmani Grandal's agent. But the fact of the matter is, People like you, Anthony, that tried to say that James McCann was better than Yasmani Grandal need to realize. When did I say that James McCann was better than Yasmani Grandal? You have always when, been a James McCann advocate. No, but, it was but, not. Johnny, I'm going to ask you to yeah, roll I will, the tape I, here. I, I'll say with Steve, you have been an advocate. I don't know if you ever made that statement, though. So you may be putting some words in his I mouth was, there, I though. Was, you have was, been, you, you've been a little a bit of a shit stir around the I James was, McCann parts, I was, though. I will I agree Sebi's with that. I can set the train. All the way until oh, that's James worked McCann. out real well too. Yeah, that yeah. I mean, that train can take its way to New York and bring me back James McCann to back up Yasmani Grandal next year. Fix fix you know Yasmani Grandal's back that nobody knew was a fucking issue, and let him go you know work out with the Blackhawks because that's an organization that I trust. You know knows what they're doing right now with their strength and conditioning. I mean, Jonathan Tate still looks like a fucking animal out there right now. Patrick Kane's still alive. I'm sure that their strength and conditioning coach could go fix Yasmani Grandal. Bring me back a competent, you know, backup catcher who's going to fix Lucas Giolito. That's what I want. But, but the greater point here is if you're going to trade a closer, 
a guy that is still one of the better relievers in the sport, doing it for James McCann. I will agree with you. And 100% Eduardo Escapar is how you say fucking dumb. I would call it embarrassing. Uh, I, I honestly would call it embarrassing. I think overall, guys, when when I first saw these rumors about uh, James McCann coming back, and I think we're segueing in a little bit to the James McCann reunion talk here, I really wasn't expecting Liam Hendricks to be part of this trade talk because I would say, and and maybe you guys disagree, I think Steve agrees, though, wholeheartedly after what he said, when we signed Liam Hendricks, the plan was never to move him in the middle of the competitive window. Despite the market shifts, despite all the other things that are going on here, you never want to move your closer in the middle of a competitive window. I kind of gauge this by looking at how other fans and media members are are tweeting around uh, the move that's going to be made. And when you see Mets fans or anybody else, when you saw the BR tweet go out there, You've got plenty of people jumping out saying, go get Liam Hendricks. He's a top-tier reliever. I know we get frustrated. Everybody gets frustrated with their own closer. But when you see people sitting there going, that's a fleece, I don't want to move Liam Hendricks for anything, despite whether or not Raylo could potentially be a closer. Liam Hendricks is a known commodity. I don't want to move on from Liam Hendricks right now. He's also another guy that brings energy, brings cool and tough factor to the White Sox, Johnny. I don't want to move him. I don't know about you. Yeah, you just don't want the light show to end. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, cool. I, I would rather cool. have the light show for Alex Colonnay. That's what I want. Steve. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're getting off the rails here. Uh, our guy Sox Insane brought up a point when he wrote about uh, the, this, you know, Liam Hendricks room back name back in the rumor mill uh, at on tap sportsnet.com. A guy you brought up now, you know what you had talked about with that previous return. Yeah, that's bullshit, Steve. Um, Eduardo Escobar, James McCann, get out of here with that. But toss Jeff McNeil into the mix. Now, this is hypothetical, but now you're talking about something. Now you're at least raising something that fills a need, both offensively and defensively. And then obviously you're looking at supplemental pieces as well surrounding that. So that is where I would go and entertain it. But I will go back to your point, Tony, too. Um, and I, with the first time Liam came up during winter meetings and I wrote about it, I said, it seems, you know, like, Sure, like it seems crazy that a team would trade a, um, a you know premier top of the line closer in the middle of its contention window. However, with the overspending on the bullpen, which Steve dislikes so much, understandably so, you went out, you spent on Joe Kelly, you went out, you spent on Kendall Graveman. You know, you got these other guys in there as well. Obviously, then you had a guy emerge in terms of Ronaldo Lopez. So we're just looking at areas of strength that you may be able to deal with. Um, this is just something that you do have to consider um, whether it amounts to anything or not. This is what we do in the off season. We sit here, bullshit, talk about hypotheticals on trade. So like I said, throw Jeff McNeil in there, a little different vibe for me, but um, with, with that initial listed return of what Steven mentioned, I agree. Fuck no. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I haven't really followed Jeff McNeil's career until I looked at, you know, his baseball reference page today. Low cost, high effective guy. So I'm kind of right there. It makes some sense, at least to me, um, why you would want to acquire this guy. I think there's also the big factor here that, that comes to play, and that's money. 
And, you know, it, it, it always comes down to the money of what you're paying these guys. And Steve, that's why you and I have had conversations about Javier Baez and Yasmani Grandal swaps when we played this hypothetical game. Um, you know, you, you want to come out on the end of all of these deals as, as the winner, right? Is McNeil the kind of guy that you can comfortably sit here and say, and I'll ask both of you this question, is acquiring him worth giving the closer role to any of the known bullpen commodities that the White Sox have right now? I guess I'm kind of sitting here, I don't know, sway my mind either way. It's tough because Reynaldo Lopez hadn't done it before. Sure, he grew into his own, came into some high leverage spots this year, late inning situations. However, he has never pitched in a save situation in his life. So that's some uncertainty there. So definitely something to consider there. You also have Kendall Graveman. We don't really know because he has had some save um, situations in his past uh, days, uh, mostly before the White Sox. Obviously, he was mainly in a setup role um, for the Sox last year in his first year here. Um, so that's an option that you'd consider as well. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's you feel great about handing that over. However, when you're looking at surpluses, right, surpluses of where there are, you know, guys piled up at, bullpen is one of those areas. You can't really go out and move a, you know, position piece in terms of whatever, outfielder, right? <laughs> now that we signed Ben Tenney, we have what, Drew, two two true outfielders uh, on the roster? Not, not I've been so, working with Gavin Sheets all offseason, man. there. Um, but when you just look at it from that and on talking about trade market being, um, you know, more fruitful than free agency for them this year, he kind of preface that. So in back himself into a corner uh, in any way, shape or form, um, very lawyerly, um, as we've come to know from Rick Hahn. However, if that is the route they decide to take, and obviously the market can shift any of that because the trade market has been dead all off season, um, it's just interesting to think about what could be. Would the White Sox be the one to break the ice on that front? I don't know. I don't think so. And I also haven't heard anything about the White Sox willingness to really give up Liam Hendricks. It's more been about other teams inquiring, right? This is what we're basing all of this off of. So I think it's important to go back to that as well. But it does make for interesting discussion on shows like the holiday edition of Sox on Tap. Yeah, I, I don't know that... Jeff McNeil is the type of player that is really going to swing the pendulum in the White Sox favor in terms of trying to right. chase down the Cleveland Guardians. Um, I think he obviously would add a, another dimension to this team offensively, adding left-handed counterbalance, another guy that would be able to get on base. So if we're talking about trying to remake this offense um, to be more efficient, it, McNeil certainly would fit that bill. Um, kind of mixed, you know, reviews on him defensively, whether it's, you know, the eye test or some of the various metrics that are out there. I think one of the other things that is going to be interesting, you know, we talked about how the rule changes are going to impact teams and players from a base stealing standpoint. How it impacts individuals and teams defensively is going to be something very important to watch early on in the season because you look at some of the advanced metrics, things like defensive runs saved, outs above average, 
those numbers now are going to be, I think, weighted higher because of the fact that you can't have the shift associated with you here. So guys that have more range are going to be significantly more valuable. And McNeil has not been a guy that historically has rated out well from a range perspective. So this is going to be something interesting to, to watch. So while McNeil might have a positive impact on the offensive side of it, we can't say definitively that there is going to be a positive impact on the defensive side of the equation here. So there's a lot of different things uh, and a lot of different variables going on here. So I don't think that you can say one way or the other that, you know, okay, you take away Liam Hendricks and you try to kind of move some of the furniture around in, in the bullpen. It's not automatically going to make the team better just because you add Jeff McNeil. And then looking at it just from the from the bullpen perspective, this and I'll be quick with this point here. Um, we talk about Ronaldo Lopez not having that experience. So, and, and Jonathan, you mentioned obviously Kendall Graven's experience, while somewhat limited in the closer aspect of it. I'm old enough to remember a time when Shingo Takatsu started the season as a closer, and then Dustin Hermanson inherited the role after Shingo was DFA'd. Hermanson did not have a great deal of closing experience. And then an unknown player that was claimed off of waivers that started the season in AA named Big Bad Bobby Jenks closed out and got the most important out in franchise history. So weird shit can happen. Right. Good, good points. I, I like it. I, I like bringing up both sides of that there. Um, it's just, you know, uh, we, would you feel, you know, uh, how would you feel go, going into the season? Like just, you know, hypothetically, say Liam Hendricks or whatever the return may be. How would you feel going into it? And I'm sure you'd have people on both sides of it that, okay, well, you know, let's see what he can do. And obviously I uh, got to give him a chance to be able to do it. However, like you said, anything could happen. You could excel in it. Or guess what? The lack of experience could be um, something that derails him. And then you'd be talking about why the fuck did we trade Liam Hendricks? So there's two sides to it. That's that's all all I'm bringing up there. So. Yeah, the, the the mindset and the mentality of it is something that is important. I know a lot of people like to go out there and like to just look at things from a strictly numbers perspective here. But the fact of the matter is there are a lot of guys that simply can't get their mind to a place to be able to handle getting outs 25, six and seven. That is something that is important. And that is one of the things, look, you guys obviously know I'm a little bit more on the analytical side versus the, the two we use here. And guys like Brian Kenny will go out there and will totally discount the mindset aspect of this. I went on baseball savant the other day. I'm surprised you even knew how to spell savant. So, hey, you're making progress, Anthony. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. Um, But, you know, guys like Brian Kenny will will go and say anybody can get those three outs. They're no different than than outs, you know, 16, 17, 18. They are different. It's just – it's a simple fact of of the game. Playing the game, I can tell you, it it is different. You can objectively look at this and say that it's not. There's just three outs. But there is just something psychologically different about, and some guys just simply cannot handle that, and you don't right. know until you know. Amen. I don't got anything further on that. So um, that about wraps up Liam Hendricks trade talk, guys. Uh, moving this thing on along um, as we've got all of these. All right, uh, Adam Duvall rumblings. Um, Steve, I think you were the one that wanted to discuss this a little bit. I haven't heard too, too, too much on this front. However, he is one of those names that is still available when you go and look at those graphics in terms of um, 
players available by position. He is one of those guys also in the outfield there. So hit us with what you know. Adam Duvall. You know, yeah. So his name is something that has really just kind of come up in the last 24 hours or so. And I will admittedly say that that is a name that I hadn't really given a great deal of thought to in terms of being a guy to potentially start the season, maybe in right field, if they decide that they want to give Oscar Colas a little bit more seasoning in AAA Charlotte before thrusting him into an everyday role at the corner of 35th and Shields. And you go back and if you look at Duvall throughout the course of his career, he was down last year while playing for the Braves. But this is a guy that has had success at the major league level, been able to play all three outfield positions effectively. And again, looking at various defensive metrics, grades out pretty well at all three spots. So having a guy that can cover you in the corners and also in center field and do so competently, given Luis Roberts' track record being relatively spotty from a health standpoint, that is something that is very important. Oh, by the way, Adam Duvall is a guy that has had multiple 30 home run seasons in the major leagues and has had multiple seasons where his slugging percentage started with a five. What have we been talking about on this show seemingly all of last year and here into the offseason, the need to provide and produce more power. Adam Duvall is a guy that can certainly do that and would fill a need. So, it's really a, a very savvy move that would make a lot of sense for the White Sox, which then leads me to believe there's no re reason that it will happen. Uh, Fool um, me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, I'm out on all guys named Adam that can hit 30 home runs in a year. <laughs> well, Steve, your pitch sold me. I, I, I'm sold on it. Like I said, I had not seen too, too many rumblings on it. And like you said, um, I think he kind of did fade a little bit in terms of uh, talking about last season with the Braves. So um, at least just on people's radars in terms of how, how hot of a commodity he would be. And that's part of a reason why he's still available right now. But you sold me. So uh, hypothetically, I think it absolutely fits a need. Uh, White Sox should absolutely go and do it. Will I expect them to? Absolutely not. However, um, we threw it out there into the universe. So it's something that's been discussed in White Sox land. Um, all right, let's move on. Um, guys, there's small talk. Nick Madrigal trade rumors. Tony, I think you were the one that inserted this one. So I'll hand it over to you uh, on this front. Big N.O. I'm, I'm right there with you on a big N.O. for Nick Madrigal. I, I don't, I, I man, I, I saw, uh, uh, I think it was Herb Lawrence put it up there. You know, Gavin Cheats for Nick Madrigal. Who says no? Uh, poll earlier, absolutely not, absolutely not. I, I just, I understand that Nick Madrigal's career war is higher than than Gavin Sheets at this point, but I don't know if we really want to go down this path of of trying to bring Nick Madrigal back. I know Vinny Parise is out there saying that you know you're going to get Lennon Sosa and you know, the White Sox internal options. I, I just, I feel like the White Sox will at, at some point, this front office is going to come to terms with you need to address second base. And I don't think Nick Madrigal's your answer. Um, it, it just makes no sense uh, to go back to that. Well, at this point, I mean, you had a fucking scouting director fired over this draft pick. So why are you going to go back and, and even try to entertain yeah, I mean, you can go lower than Gavin Sheets at this point. It doesn't even make political sense within the White Sox organization to even 
entertain this idea, um, in my opinion. So it, it's it's just small talk, and we'll leave it at that. I agree. And also another layer to that, Tony, is the durability. This team's injury issues have been magnificent um, in a bad way over the last few seasons. And Nick Madrigal has never even sniffed close to, what, 130, 40 games. Never, never, there's never, reason, never go and never going to, in my opinion. There's just, a reason there's, that in this in this day and age in baseball and what what do you call it, Steve? Our Lord's or the, the year of our Lord, the year of our Lord, 2022, that the Chicago Cubs have decided to go out there and spend ridiculous amounts of money in this Dan economy e. Swanson in this economy they're spending that kind of money you can go follow cubs on tap and and they they talked all about it they, they're so happy that they got their dan Spee swanson over there so they don't have to hey, see I, Nick I, don't, I don't blame them one bit because then you get a great defensive guy at second base and nico horner which we know that you know nick madrigal story still to be written however will you have no, to be I, on the I, damn field for it to be written and he fucking also, stinks he little, fucking stinks and he's a little slap dick slap dick he fucking the stinks so, the, yeah. the, the little keeler elf he stinks Anybody who is sitting here advocating for the White Sox to reacquire this little fucking slapdick jabroni, I don't know what you're watching. I truly don't. And to kind of double down uh, on some things here, like you said, Anthony, there's a reason why Nick Hosteller is no longer the scouting director for the Chicago White Sox because he literally tied his wagon to this little fucking Keebler elf. He said... He's on record as saying he was more confident in Nick Madrigal than any player he'd ever scouted before. I knew Southside Brown was watching this. Kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me? And from some of the things that I hear through the grapevine, the organization could not wait to get rid of him. And they found someone to take him. So the idea of him coming back, I don't see it. All right, let's move right on, guys. We got a snowstorm rolling in here, Tony. Will Roger Bossard's driveway ever see more than an inch of snow accumulate on it? I mean, this is the question that everybody's asking right now is who can save Christmas? And I think there, there's only one man that can possibly even save Christmas, and that's Roger Bossard. I've seen this guy dispose of snow faster than uh fucking anybody else that lives on this earth i mean there's a reason the Sox were able to uh host uh, an opening day what was that 2019 johnny uh while the the cubs were unable i'm not sure if that was 2018 2019 um but uh, you know roger bosser just knows how to get rid of snow he's an excellent groundskeeper i think if if i'm just gauging this that man's out there and his grass is green while his neighbors have two feet of snow uh, on their lawns and, and Rogers got it all cleared. If I was the city of Chicago, if I was cook County, if I was the state of Illinois, if I was JB fucking Pritzker, I'd be getting him on the phone right now to save Christmas. I don't know about you guys. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Dave Roger Bossert. He's a goat man. I no mean, way around it. Listen, you know, Roger Bossard knows when there's a window 
and he knows how to take advantage of it. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was looking at some of the models, you know, coming from a fine institution of higher learning that also happens to have the number one basketball program in the country, Purdue University, down in West Lafayette, Indiana, to say, hey, you know what? This is what's going to happen here. This is how we're going to approach this, and this is how we're going to get the job done. Is that where you went to school, Steve? Hashtag confirmed. Okay. Just just curious. All right, guys. But we know Roger Bossard's a goat on the south side. Let's move on. We've got a lot of problems, a lot of people. Let's hear about them. Airing of grievances. It's time. How Steve. do you air, how do you air grievances? Steve will show you. Here's how it goes down. Listen, the tradition of Festivus, it, it always begins with the airing of grievances. Now, Festivus is a holiday. It is the reason for the season, as we like to say. It is this coming Friday, December 23rd. And really, the whole essence of the airing of grievances is to tell all the people that are close to you how they have let you down over the past year and how, really, for lack of a better term, they make you fucking sick. So, while we're on that topic, Jerry Reinsdorf, old buddy, old pal, boy, do I got some grievances for you, you motherfucker. I'm scared. This is why I brought four beers down before we started this episode. You talk all the time and, and you have your media mouthpieces, Boob Nightingale, and all kinds of other people talk about your commitment to winning. How nobody wants to win more than you. You've brought seven championships to the city of Chicago because you just have that commitment. You just love to win and you hate to lose. Let's see. Right now, the White Sox payroll is sitting somewhere around $188 million. The first luxury tax threshold is, I believe, $235 million. Let me see. That's um, about $47 million below the first luxury tax. believable. I concur, Hawkeroo. Thank you. You want to talk commitment to winning? Steve Cohen with the New York Mets, is paying a luxury tax bill of $95 million because he said we won 100 games last year, but we got bounced in the first round of the playoffs. That wasn't good enough. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to spend every penny I have. He literally had an interview with John Heyman where he said he made a commitment to the New York Mets fans. Jerry Reiser has never made a commitment to White Sox fans. The only commitment he has ever made in his life is to be buried in a gold plate coffin with as much money as he possibly fucking can. So Jerry Reinsdorf, fuck you. That's Woo. my big grievance. Bring in the heat. Bring in the heat. I like it, Steve. I kind of knew where you're going with that one, but uh, it's good to hear you let that get out. Um, all right. I'll go and talk about a group, a group here, and that is the White Sox core. That's Yoan Moncada. That's Luis Robert. That's Eloy Jimenez. That's Yasmani Grandal. That's, as much as people don't want to hear it, Jose Abreu for his downturn in this last year uh, of White Sox baseball here. White Sox core, you were expected to lead us into, you know, a, a competitive window uh, that was competing for multiple championships, right? Um, and I know maybe those are monikers dis, be, uh, bestowed upon them by Rick Hahn uh, up in his office doing his lawyer speak. However, 
this core is much more talented than they have shown. Hell, even in 2020, even in 2021, I know injuries happen. That does happen. However, why does it take us a million years to return from them? Why, when we return, does it take then 40 games for the power to return? Or just never return in Yasmani Grandal's case. Okay, I know we finally cleared the air uh, on Chuck Garfine's podcast about the disc in his back. Why didn't anyone else go and pick him up along the way? Where was the power this season? And don't just say dead balls. There were home runs being hit elsewhere around the league. In a ballpark that's built for home runs, we have a power-infused core that offered very, very little power. Eloy, I'll give you a little bit of a break on this one with your second half resurgence, you did hit the ball out of the ballpark a little bit. But overall, White Sox core, not mashing the baseball, really grind, just ground my gears this year. So th that's my biggest grievance. This this seems healthy. I've got so many choices right now of, of grievances I want to air. Um, can I just like do like quick hits of, of a bunch of stuff? Do I have to elaborate? I don't know what the rules of engagement here. This are. is your show, Anthony. Okay. First one. Where was Buzz all year? He brings energy, entertainment. He wasn't at the ballpark this year. I think that 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 put everybody in a bad mood. We need more Buzz on tap. Kind of like no Billy Hamilton in the dugout. No Billy right? Hamilton in the dugout. Well, the mudslides fucking disappeared. That was a huge problem for the White Sox in 2022. We need buzz. We need a mudslide. We've got Billy Hamilton back. We need buzz back in lot B. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with me, but Agreed. buzz in lot B was missing in 2022, and I have a grievance about it, and I'm pissed, and we need buzz back in lot B. That's number one. Number two, Steve, your negative bullshit Made me fucking angry all year. And I can't wait to air it out and talk about why you deserve coal in our next segment. But your negative bullshit and it's overstatements were just absolutely horrendous this year. It led to poor results. When you wake up in the morning and you want to piss excellence, but you decide that this whole thing sucks, you don't piss excellence. And that's a problem. You can't have that anymore. Number three, Tony LaRusso's heart gave out at the wrong time. You need heart. You need soul. You need TWTW in order to make things happen. So I'm mad at Tony LaRusso's heart. I'm also mad at Yohan Moncada. I'm mad at Yohan Moncada because I want Yohan Moncada to be a phenom like he was supposed to be. I'm also mad at Lucas Giolito. If I see him pouting around the mound next year, I'm going to be pissed off. And I know my guy Sean Roberts is here to back me up on that. I've got so many more that I can say, but I know that we're already over an hour. And I just wanted to quick fire off a bunch of different stuff that grinds my gears. Can I just add? Can I just add one more for for Southside Ron? Since I see him in the mentions here, um, you know, I'd like to add one for everyone's uh, Chicago Lord and Savior, Justin Fields. You know, I just I, I would like to see him get to a point where he can average 175 yards passing per game. This is a baseball show. Oh, my bad. Whoops. All right, guys, some some good grievances there. I'm sure we could go on uh, with some few more, but uh, I think we hit on the main points on White Sox list here. So um, that moves on to another list, and that's naughty or nice. Um, St. Rick's uh, going to start it off. Uh, oh, my God, naughty, naughty. Oblique in spring training. I'm sorry, how does that happen? Swinging in the cages, and then when you come back, you don't do anything to make up for it uh, at the plate. So naughty. 
You know, I'm used to focusing on the naughty girls list, but that's not why you called. Um, I'm going to talk about the nice list right now here. Reynaldo Lopez, the transition to the bullpen in 2022 went swimmingly. This is why he's being talked about as a guy that is a potential future closer. Someone you know on this show may or may not have written a piece over at ontapsportsnet.com talking about him profiling as a potential closer down the road. So what we saw from him this year, top-notch stuff. I look forward to seeing him continue it here in 2023. So we're doing naughty and nice. Is this limited to the players or can we go, you know, no, pick pick something White Sox related, pick something White Sox related. Was it naughty or nice? Naughty or nice. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of naughty that Garrett Crochet's fucking arm fell off uh, for a minute here. I, I want to say that his elbow is on the naughty list. Didn't want to see him have Tommy John. I want Garrett Crochet pumping 102 next year to get back on the nice list. All right. Um, Yasmani Grandal, you are on the naughty list, and this is a recency bias thing. I understand the injury issue, so I'm not jumping on you for that. It's the comments that you said that Tim Anderson going down was the death blow for the team. I'm sorry. Is this not a group of professionals? in this locker room were there not other veteran players on the roster that could have stepped up in that absence. Everybody was trying so hard to be the guy. I didn't see that effort. I didn't see anything to warrant that elicit that in terms of liveliness after Tim Anderson went down, you are on the naughty list for a lack of leadership from a veteran catcher standpoint. On the naughty list for me has to be the white Sox coaching staff throughout the course of the 2022 season for a variety of different reasons. You can look at Joe McEwing and some of his just asinine sends from the third base coach's box. You can look at Frank Manichino and the overall offensive approach that was instilled in this team, just simply zapping them of all of the power, focusing on just merely making contact for the sake of making contact, and for Tony LaRusso not being able to stay awake during games. Man, I, I want to go to the nice list here, and I'm going to give nice list to Jake Berger. When he came up on uh, a few different stints here, provided a lot of offensive spark to the White Sox, and I know that he was not a late-season player for this team, but his uh, his contributions early on in the year to fill in for a very naughty Yon Mancata performance this season, he filled in very nicely. Kendall Graveman, you are on the nice list, my good sir, the Grave Digger. You got a lot of flack unwarranted because Rick Hahn may have overspent on your contract. However, that does not take away from what you were able to do. You brought in to fill a role. You filled that role effectively. I will take your 310 ERA in that setup role every day of the week. You made me feel like you could get out of a jam, which felt few and far between with other relievers at times this season. So Kendall Graveman, nice first season on the south side. Nice list for sure. The White Sox training, strength, and conditioning staff as a whole made my naughty list. Just looking at the variety of different injuries that took place, this team's inability to have players return from said injuries without them reoccurring. Um, you know, for anybody that wants further detail, you can listen to the discussion I had with orthopedic surgeon Dr. Narav Shah, who I may or may not have had a couple of two tree cocktails with 
earlier this evening before we recorded today's show. But by and large, the the training, strength, and conditioning staff for their inability to keep this team on the field for the majority of this season, you guys are definitely on my naughty list. I'm going to go back to the nice list. Besnick Sox recaps at ontapsportsnet.com were very nice this year. Very nice, even though the Sox played very naughty. I like it. I'll go another nice list here, and that's Southpaw. Um, it, a lot of people were very negative about this team, and very understandably so, very, very down on it. However, there was one guy that still brought some energy to the club, still made it enjoyable for some kids to come out to games, enjoy a game on a family Sunday, Southpaw. I didn't see anything wrong with his performance this year, and he's cool and tough, ordering some drinks at the bar uh, up in that left field lounge. Southpaw, I appreciate the energy. You made things at least somewhat positive. I think the biggest addition to the nice list that we haven't touched on to this point, the American League Siam runner-up, Mr. Dylan Cease. The progression that we saw from him this season was, I mean, otherworldly, I think for, for lack of a better term. The performances that we saw from him on a consistent basis, this is a guy that showed that he's a top-of-the-rotation starter. We were all in attendance for the near no-hitter that he threw against those fucking shitbags from Canada South back in September. That is going to be a nice building block for him heading into the 2023 season here as he looks to cement himself as the ace and the main building block of this rotation here for the next couple of seasons. Heading back to the naughty list, Jose Abreu. What the fuck was that on your way out of the door here? Didn't give the fans a chance to appreciate you and all you've done uh, for this team uh, you know, wanted to go out and get a manager's perspective as he heads on over to Houston to go try and compete for a World Series. You know, there's there's TWTW and then there's loyalty. And uh, coming from a guy who said that he was going to sign himself here and wanted to see things through, I feel it's kind of naughty that you're going out and, uh, you know, now, you know, in bed with the uh, Houston Astros, uh, who, uh, you know, we all hate. We've we've had ceremonies in Lot B. Um, destroying orbit, and and now Jose Abreu is part of that franchise. Feels dirty, very naughty. Jose Abreu, White Sox naughty list. Dual one. Uh, Rick Hahn for making one singular one uno, holding one finger up here, one trade at the trade deadline, and also the person he brought along, Jack Dickman. Um, couple, yeah, quite literally, just a couple of nice outings to start and then absolutely fell apart. Uh, same exact issues kind of really that we saw with Aaron Bummer. So um, almost a clone in that regard, in terms of when things go south with them, it went south far more often than it was positive with Jack Dickman. And then Rickon having the nerve to go and say that he was disappointed that they were unable to get more done when in reality, I would have respected him more if he would have just said he was checked out and they weren't doing jack shit this season. So uh, naughty list for both of them though, but that's your job, man it, it, at the trade deadline. That's your time to improve the club. If you're going to make a push in a competitive window, come on, naughty list for sure. Uh, one other nice list for me. And this is one that, you know, is gonna the story is gonna be told, I think, in in a couple of years here. I think the organization kind of thinking outside the box with Project Birmingham. Everyone knows I'm a big Project Beham guy. 
I think it is something new and something innovative. Do we know if it is going to work? No, we don't. But it is a departure from the status quo. And as we have seen with this organization, the status quo has not yielded great results. So what does Einstein say the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results while well, they're trying something different this time and for that they at least make my nice list would just like to note that that's for chris Getz's first time ever being on the nice list ever so congrats tony naughty list brooks boyer um i don't know what this end of the season drone show was on a friday night that uh decided to interrupt the normally scheduled programming of blowing up explosives over the dan ryan but uh, yeah, the the drone show. I, I understand it's cool. Drones are, are are cool. They're hip for all the young kids and everything. Blow shit up. That's all I want to see. Um, it, the fireworks are cool and tough. I love fucking fireworks. No drone shows. I don't need home run drones. I don't want any of that stuff. If that starts to creep in here, we've got problems. Naughty list, Brooks Boyer. Get rid of the drones. Spend more money on fireworks. All right, nice list this is my last one, guys. Nice list is Cascade. You know me. I like me some EDM. I like some house music. Everyone ragged on it just because of the marketing for it, because it was a scheduled ad that ran during like the fifth or sixth inning, whenever the fuck it was, right in the middle of the game. And of course, most of the time leading up to that, it was tragic. We were losing to the A's, we were losing to whoever, because that concert wasn't until August. So you got these ads basically all throughout the end of June, July beginning of august until that happened cascade show if you actually stayed for it it was awesome um put on a great show he is actually a true white Sox fan posted on his social media a few days after said he thinks he needs to do more of them because the white Sox went on a five game winning streak after he performed at the g rate so cascade i thought it was cool um in brooks players you know uh, overall agree with your decision there tony put him on the audio list but uh that was one gig that i did enjoy from white Sox promotion so cascade you are on the nice list. Uh, my final addition to the naughty list would have to be the White Sox ticket department, specifically looking at some of the ticket plans and some of the inflexibility they provide for season ticket holders. And I'll give you one specific example. Saturday, August 27th, against the Arizona Diamondbacks. For those of us that had 20-game weekend plan A, this was a game that was part of your plan. Those of us that have season ticket plans know that you are given the opportunity to exchange five games during the course of the season for a different uh, date That if you can't make it for whatever the reason. That game, along with several others during the course of the season, was not eligible to be utilized as an exchange because they gave away a 70s retro adjustable hat. This is an organization that does not have a huge season ticket holder fan base. I think that they needed to do more to try to accommodate those of us that made the commitment to season tickets for this team, given what we saw this season. Naughty list, parking lot attendants who do not let you into lot B early enough or will tell you in the middle of double headers that you can't tailgate until a specified time really cramped our style uh, a couple of times this season. I, I don't like the parking lot attendance right now. Not a big fan. And the, the major reason that they are on the naughty list is because during certain games, lot B you can pay via credit card. Other games, depending on the opponent, 
and how they're playing, you can't. It doesn't matter if it's a Thursday night game against the Red Sox. That would be a premier matchup and listed on the schedule as, you know, a premier ticket, dynamic pricing. You can get in there just fine with your credit card. Come Saturday, that's not the case. No communication. No, you know, letting your season ticket holders know exactly how that all works out. It drives people to pay to park in other areas. It causes confusion. It's hard to take the family out to the ballpark when you don't know what the parking situation is going to be. Shouldn't be that hard. Proactive communication on the parking situation is key. Steve, this goes back to some of the other season ticket holder benefits things. Um, it'd be nice if, you know, even the 20-game plan holders had a reserve spot in Lot B, even if they're paying cash. I think that's just somewhat fair for what you've already committed to. Naughty list. The White Sox parking lot attendance. All right. I think that about wraps up. Naughty, nice list. I'm sure we can go on for days with this one, but uh, we do have to wrap up this show in a timely fashion. And the last thing we're going to do, Christmas right around the corner, White Sox wish list. So, guys, have at it. What's on your wish list here for St. Rick? <laughs> I'm going to let Steve go first because we've got to talk about why Steve's going to get Cole. Garrett Cole? No, Cole. No, no, not just, Garrett just Cole. Plain, no. Just plain Cole. No, okay. Um, I love Cole. Beautiful, clean Cole. <laughs> um, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes to wish list for, for the remainder of the offseason, I think a guy like Adam Duvall, someone that we touched on earlier, would make a tremendous amount of sense for this team, providing a veteran presence in the outfield, someone that can plug a hole in all three outfield spots, can provide power as he has done for a number of seasons throughout the course of his major league career. That would be a really savvy acquisition for the White Sox. So uh, that is someone that I would definitely like to see them go out and acquire. And listen, if you are – um, <laughs> hey, we got a new one here. All right. Hey, hey, let me see this photo of your hot sister. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> you know, if Jerry Reiser was serious, if he didn't want to make the naughty list, he would go out. This only happens when Steve's talking. I don't know if it's yeah, like something with his internet browser. We apologize for the, yeah. The spam comments in there. Sorry, 69 Mega was definitely on the nice list, though. That brought about a winning. Oh, game. oh, 69 Mega <laughs> will always be on the nice list. Don't forget that. Never forget. Quite literally um, nice. Hashtag nice confirmed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, someone someone like Adam Duvall. And, and listen, go out there and supplement that with a viable major league option at second base, whether it's Gene Segura or another option that is available in the free agent market there put together a representative team provide this team with depth options utilize guys like lenin sosa oscar colas jose rodriguez and rami gonzalez as depth pieces that's how you build a winning team my christmas wish list i would i would like a nice summer for my guy steve that's that's on the top of my Christmas wish list. It was really hard, you know, just doing this show over the past year and talking to Steve throughout the season and and knowing how down he was. Um, and I, I just feel for, you know, my brother here in this situation. 
Um, it was a really hard, hard year for Steve. And I know he said that it was over, but you know, if I can sit on, on, uh, on Santa's lap for a second and ask for one thing, I, I wish for a better summer for Steve so that he doesn't have to say such negative things about his favorite sports team. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of a selfless thing, uh, to wish that for someone else. But if I could use my one Christmas wish, uh, for the White Sox, it would be to help Steve have a better summer. I, I saw how happy he was, um, you know, in a video where he said, this team has it. And I, I just want that for Steve again. It's very concerning to me, um, that, uh, he was so sad, hashtag sad Steve. Uh, throughout the past year and I, I just I just want him to have a better summer I know how much he enjoys his summers and uh, we need more positivity and we need more more Steve this team has it and we need less it's over um, you know I've been a big proponent of of positivity and it, it, it was really hard to have any positive thoughts this past year uh, my Christmas wish is that is that Steve has a has a great summer and takes you know, some of the, the book of the two weeks of Kenwo Twitter to heart and and really <laughs> starts to, you know, in in embody that that spirit uh of the holidays. Least believable face turn ever. It's true though, Steve. I, I just want you to be happy. Wow. We're getting heartfelt here around the holidays. I like it, guys. Um, I can kind of I can go and double down with Steve. I think Adam Duvall, you sold me on him uh, the way that you were talking about him early in the show when we brought up him initially there. Uh, obviously, filling out second base would be on my wish list as well. However, it is the return of the vibes, return of swagger, because that is something that was lacking big time last year, both from the players on the field and their performance and them being able to have some swagger as a result of it. Um, and then also just the attitude surrounding it. It felt lifeless last year, and I don't want that. 2021 made me feel alive, guys. I know that it did not end the way that we wanted it to. However, there were stretches in there where that team, kind of sent some shockwaves through your system, right? And I want that to be back. That's what baseball, fun, competitive baseball should feel like. And it just didn't for way, way, way too much last year. So um, return of vibes, return of swagger. That's on my wish list. The vibes being hashtag back would be very welcomed. They absolutely would. And, you know, bef before we get out of here, guys, um, you know, White Sox gifts, I know that they will be present under the tree, hopefully for all of you guys. Um, I've just got to, I've just got to share a White Sox gift that I, that I've received already early Christmas present. You've got this Southpaw bobblehead. Uh, you can go get that over on Foco. It's wearing Steve's favorite White Sox jersey, the Southside City Connect jerseys. Look at that! You've got the train in here. You can go get that over at Foco. I hope you guys are getting some White Sox gifts. Um, if you, uh, if you are looking for a Southpaw bobblehead, go get it at FOCO. Um, what are you guys looking for, uh, for White Sox gifts for Christmas? Anything that you guys are, are looking to, uh, acquire this, uh, this coming holiday? Well, multiple sauces are speculating that I may or may not be making a trip to grandstand tomorrow in the spirit of the holiday season. Ooh, so you doing some holiday shopping. You never know what might happen because a trip to grandstand can be unexpected. You never know what you might find in there. Yeah. 
Um, and also, and also, while you know, real quick on uh, your little gift there of, of Southpaw, at least you know he's wearing pants unlike some other mascots. Very true. Very true. <laughs> very, true. Very, 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 very true. All, Don't want all, to offend the children. All, all parts of why Southpaw was on the nice list this year, guys. Um, brought some energy uh, and bring some excitement to the games, which was lacking on the field. So um, in terms of gifts, Tony, um, I could always use long sleeve shirts. I love some white socks, um, logos, wherever they may be, chest left chest logos um that's what i'm looking for in terms of white socks gifts under the tree this year so um obviously i already got the santa hat so very nice keeping the ears warm i'll need it for this uh kind of arctic blast we got coming our way so well roger bossard's got your driveway covered if you can afford them best in the business ain't gonna come cheap yeah how the socks keep him on I don't know. that Steve Cohen hasn't recruited him yet. Is that is that, is that <laughs> where the money was York. spent? Take is care that of where City the Field money was there. spent? Roger Bosch. Wow. That's 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 you know, you can't you You're can't paying really... a premium for yeah, premium talent. The... Man. Roger Bossard, White Sox legend. Guys, I don't have anything else. I don't know if you do, but uh this was a great show. Yeah, it was. I just want to say happy holidays. Merry Christmas, all the listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Socks on Tap throughout the year. It's been excellent. Uh, we love connecting with you guys, interacting with you in the comments. So make sure you go and subscribe on Tap Sports and on YouTube. Follow us on tapsportsnet.com and on social media at Socks on Tap at on Tap Sportsnet. Uh, always open to feedback. Um, if you like something we talked about during the show, feel free to engage with us. Uh, all of our handles here are underneath our names. So um, that's all I've got. It's always a fun time. Uh, discussing with White Sox fans uh, honestly helps you get through season like we had this past year. Just hope for better things coming forward in 2023. Steve? Yeah, I think my closing thoughts are this. Mentioned earlier, Festivus this coming Friday, December the 23rd. It's one of the most important days on the calendar. Anthony, if I can uh, brave the elements of the pending uh, Snowmageddon, Maybe I'll make a stop at Casa de Marchese for the feats of strength and kind of show you a little more of what the season is all about. You know, it was it was very therapeutic to air all of those grievances. I don't think that I came as well prepared as either of you did uh, in terms of uh, well thought out grievances that I had. So I've got a couple of days now that you've let me know that it doesn't take place until the 23rd. Uh, to kind of formulate more more thoughts on that, but uh, yeah, I, I, I liked that. It was it was as I said, therapeutic. I think that uh, there's more grievances that I might have that I, I don't even know uh, how to express them yet. So we're gonna work on that, and, and we'll get there. But uh, overall, I think final closing thoughts here is uh, you know I want to go back to the Andrew Benatendi signing and just say that uh, I'm a fan of the move. Um, but I'm not going to get up for the letdown yet um, via the wise words of Johnny Nani. And uh, I'll turn it over to you, my friend. Yeah, it, it all just depends on how it plays out on the field, man. And that's all we're, you know, we, we could sit here and talk about the best possible moves ever in the offseason. However, that could all go to shit within a matter of weeks during the season. You never know what can happen there. So we're hoping for better health for our White Sox 23. We're hoping for better production and we're hoping for better vibes from our White Sox in 2023. And hopefully, you know, uh, we, we appreciate everyone that comes and tunes in here, but hopefully we can be a little bit more upbeat for you as a result. 
of the play on the field. That's what I wish for. We should put our listeners the on the nice list, Johnny. Oh, absolutely. Now that you said that. That, absolutely. If you if you tuned in to this show, except Southside Ron, especially after some of the most tragic losses that we've sat through in a while, given the expectations of this team, you're an absolute trooper and you are 100% on the nice list and you deserve much more than what Jerry slash Rick would be willing to provide you. So that's what I've got. I love it. It's time to close this down how we always do. White Sox forever. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. White Sox forever. Happy Festivus. White Sox for life.